0: And welcome back to the Cover 3 podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Bud Elliott. That's Danny Cannell. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe. Smash that like. Come and join us in the chat. It is a Monday. We have uh, some business as we do at the beginning of every week. We will be looking At the new college football rankings, new AP Top 25, new coaches poll in the segment that is sweeping the country, Poll Assassin, as we look at voter habits and also pay tribute to one of the most iconic uh, monkey-biting trick-or-treater stories in college football history. Also, upon further review, this is our chance to be able to look back at some of the topics we did not get to in the reaction show discuss some of the uh, late night action that happened after we concluded but we begin with uh, with some news and headlines and look the this time of the year in October is just littered with uh, injury reports notable players missing time but for some reason it feels like it is almost unusual with the significant quarterbacks who are dealing with injuries and I don't know why it feels like all of them are dealing with shoulder injuries. we got to get a hold of people's shoulders. We, we, we need to strengthen the shoulders of our quarterbacks in college football. So, obviously, Bryce Young did not play in that 24-20 to Alabama win against Texas A&M. Devin Leary was knocked out of uh, NC State's narrow win against Florida State. Jalen Daniels was knocked out of the narrow loss against TCU for Kansas. Will Levis did not play for Kentucky in Kentucky's loss to South Carolina. KJ Jefferson did not play in Arkansas's loss to Mississippi state. And Dylan Gabriel was knocked out of that. wasn't a shoulder. That was concussion protocol. I was knocked out of the, no, he warmed up, but did not play. Correct. Right. Yeah.
3: Yeah. They tried to pull that whole fakery stuff. Like, he wasn't cleared. Uh, I I think it it was pretty obvious the way like certain sooner insiders were treated, like maybe this will happen. Like, "Mm, okay. okay.
0: Dylan Gabriel Gabriel did um, a a play that was as dramatic as um, you know, any Oklahoma fan could hope for. So let's, let's sort of look at this group here. Right. And if there's another one that I'm missing, Malik
3: Cunningham, Malik Cunningham and Virginia lost to them by three scores. Mm. Tommy DeVito.
0: Tommy DeVito. hmm
4: Yeah.
3: Quarterbacks.
4: They're all Dainty. They're dying. arms <laughs> soft. <laughs> These kids are soft nowadays. No, I kid. Um, it does seem like it's a bad luck year. The head injuries are one thing, like Dylan Gabriel, especially after what happened to two on the national stage. I mean, everybody outside of, you know, even the NFL, but college football was paying attention to that too. There's a hyper-awareness towards the concussion issue. So no one's going to get rushed back. Um, that's one, the, the other ones. And I do wonder, like, I wonder with Bryce Young, with Quinn Ewers who came back, I wonder if the coaches are even more cautious with their star quarterbacks and maybe they could have played earlier and they're saying, you know what, let's just take it, take it the safe route. Let's see if we can get it done without them and get him back at a hundred percent. I think it's, sh- it tells, it does a couple things. One, I think it tells the player, like we care about your future. You know, because these are quarterbacks that have plans on playing at the next level. Um, and it also sends a message to your team like, hey, we got to kind of dial it up a little bit this week and get a little bit even more focused versus opponent that maybe you didn't think so. But I think it's probably more is the ultra cautious na- na- uh, nature of everybody in, in college football right now with the concussions and with other issues, too.
2: What we need is Jerome Boger working every single college football <laughs> game to make sure that nobody touches the quarterback at all. Because of that way. Yeah. Sorry to bring NFL up, but (laughs) roughing the passer call on Tom Brady yesterday. Oh, it was ridiculous.
0: So we'll start with Bryce Young then. Are we expecting Bryce Young back for Tennessee? It is the SEC on CBS game of the week. It is a battle of undefeated. This is the best team. Well, one of these are two of the three best teams in the SEC. I don't know how everybody would stack them up. Maybe that's your own opinion. Is Bryce Young back for
3: Tennessee?
4: Yes. I think so. I I don't think think there's any doubt here. Like, look, look,
3: look at the line. I mean, some of these lines out there this week I think are hedges, right? But this Bama one is not. Bama is laying – what's the rotation number on this? 121? Eight. Okay, yeah. So it's, it's 121 on, on, on your board. They're laying 7.5. There's no way in hell they're laying 7.5. If Vegas didn't know that Bryce Young was playing, this line would be 3.5 or 4 because it would be a hedge – Between you know, kind of what it is. If they thought he was not playing, the line would probably be like one or pick. He's playing. I'd be shocked if he doesn't. Given this number, like they're not going to be seven and a half points off. They they know.
0: Okay, so what about uh, KJ Jefferson?
3: Because that's actually an interesting one.
0: Arkansas plays BYU this week. Arkansas is kind of leaking a little bit of fuel. And look, BYU needs to get this win because we're. I mean, we might get to this in a pun further review. We might not, but like. BYU, a team that we were really excited about early in the season, is very close to sort of you know falling into this outside the top 30, outside the top 40. Not irrelevance. We're still going to talk about you, especially when the performances are worth it and you get a lot of late-night spotlights. But it is far from the type of Cougars narrative that we had at the beginning of the season. Uh, Both these teams have a lot to gain. What do we think about KJ Jefferson? What is the severity of that? And can Arkansas beat BYU if Jefferson doesn't go?
2: Can it? Yes. Would I be highly confident? No. Because I mean, BYU, what's at the core of their struggles lately is their defense was kind of soft all season long, and it's just kind of coming home to roost the last few weeks against some good teams. So Arkansas might still, even without KJ Jefferson, be able to take advantage of that. Of course, the other side of that is Arkansas has got some defensive weaknesses of its own, and BYU got back a couple of key players on offense this week. So I don't I think Arkansas can beat BYU without KJ Jefferson. I just think it's very much a coin flip at best for them.
3: What do y'all think? I mean, I I think that he has a chance to play, um, but Tom is really right about the defensive injuries that they're facing right now. To me, that, that's the biggest thing, is that Arkansas just has a bunch of guys down on defense, and I, I would expect BYU you know, to score 35-plus, maybe 40. Right. That's a tough trap that's a tough travel spot too. I mean, Arkansas has had a difficult slate here. They just ran all over the field trying to cover Mississippi State. Then prior to that, they played Bama, which was kind of soul crushing because Bama lost their quarterback and they still lost that game to them. And then they had the the uh, Ar- the excuse me, the game against Texas AM there in Dallas. This is a tough spot for them. Now somebody's got to get off the mat. I I think BYU is properly favored in this one, but I think Jefferson could play. The other thing is like Arkansas wasted about 20 minutes of that ball game playing the other kid instead of Hornsby. And I'm not a huge fan of Hornsby as a thrower, but as a runner, he's really dynamic. And Mm -hmm. we have seen Kendall Bryles led offenses take a runner before and have a lot of success. The most notable example here that chip will recall is when Bryles was at Baylor, they were all out of quarterbacks for that bowl game, I think against UNC, right? Yep. And they ran for like four or 500 yards. Yep. Uh, that's what when when they were using Hornsby, that's what that game reminded me of. So I still I think Arkansas will score some points too. I think you can push BYU around. I just I don't know if Arkansas
4: can get any stops. Don't if you see a quarterback dressing on the sidelines, warming up for one game, that you would probably see him the next. I mean, I guess you can't assume anything today's game, but I felt like KJ was close to playing this week, so he would be able to go the following week, but yeah, I don't. that's wild so, speculation.
0: I mean, well, listen, and this is stepping way out of bounds, but I, I don't read Sam Pittman as somebody that would be trying to play those games, right? Because he told Ryan McGee before the game, you know, hey, you know, well, I don't know. We'll see. We're going to go out there and we're going to give it a go. So I, I'm expecting KJ Jefferson to play in this game. And, uh, and, and you know, double, double dose of Tar Heel right here. Cade Fortin, the quarterback who they started, started his career as a Larry Fedora product. He was in there uh, near, near the bottoming out of the Fedora era, went to South Florida. This is his third stop uh, so far in college football as he is with the Razorbacks. But Hornsby, as you mentioned, Bud, much more effective.
3: Yep. I, I do want to point out that we have 15 years ago, we had a season that is largely regarded as the craziest season in the history of college football, right? 2007. It was just totally wild. And there's a lot of wild things that happen. But I remember when we wrote about this at, at SB Nation, like a long time ago, a lot of this was actually predicated on quarterback injury. So uh, if you look at this, John David Booty was the quarterback of USC that year. They started out number one. He gets hurt and misses the Oregon game, which they lost. And he also broke his finger against Stanford. You, that, that USC team was extremely talented. They only lost two games. And a lot of it was they didn't have their starting quarterback. Matt Flynn was really dinged up and had to leave the game Against Kentucky, which they lost in overtime, and also against uh, Arkansas, which they lost in overtime. You know, if you look at this, Pat White missed a half, okay, against Pitt, which they lost, and he missed a half against USF, uh, which I think they also lost, right? So, like Pat White was a really dynamic guy. There was a couple other dudes uh, as well in this one. Tebow would would get banged up, but he still won the Heisman and played really well. And then uh, was it Dixon, Dennis Dixon? Mm-hmm. Played the game they lost at Arizona when he came out in the knee brace and is like, he like visibly collapsed on the field. So if these start piling up, they really can impact the the playoff race and the national picture. Like it, it's weird that we have this many. They're not really at the very top of the sport, I guess, but we've seen a weird season before, largely or not largely, at least in part as a result of a lot of quarterback injuries. I think you're staring it
2: right in the face and you don't see it. But, but you mentioned the it, who was USC's starting quarterback at the start of 2007? John David Booty. Who's Oklahoma's backup QB in 2020? General Booty. Oh, General. The Booty principle is leading the crazy <laughs> seasons. Any year in which your quarterbacks are injured and one of them is named Booty, weird stuff is going to happen.
0: Um, Will Levis is not dealing with a shoulder injury. He has a foot And that his absence uh, played a role in the twenty-four to fourteen loss to South Carolina. Kentucky is playing Mississippi State at home this weekend. Do you think that we will see um, Will Levis back? And if he's and does, how much does his absence or availability impact your read on that game? A lot. (laughs) I mean,
2: I know I know we give Will Levis a lot of crap for being you know chosen by so many as the number one pick in the NFL draft, but I think it was pretty obvious in that game against South Carolina, the, the drop off from Levis to who else Kentucky has on that roster was pretty stark. And I mean, K- Kaya Sharon was 15 to 27, 178 yards, two touchdowns an interception. Not really the running threat that Levis is. If they don't have him against that Mississippi state team, which did just put up 40 on Arkansas and has looked pretty solid all season long. I don't think Kentucky's beating the Bulldogs are going to be 4 and 3. They need Levis back to have any chance of winning that game.
4: You know what all of this is pretty revealing and it's pretty obvious, but still I think it's harder than ever is the depth at quarterback is almost impossible to build because if you have two good quarterbacks, one of them's going to leave. Yeah, they them. lose yeah. So like the drop off is pretty dramatic in a lot I of these programs it and it makes it really tough. No doubt about it. Um I I will also say that they lost um
3: one of the transfers they took at receiver to an injury in that game. He didn't return, and then their really fast guy who scored on the uh, – I think that was him. Basically, I think Kentucky's down its top two receivers also who did not return to the game. So you may have Sharon and a bunch of dudes who are not really SEC quality with an offensive line that's sketch. I, I think Vegas thinks he is not playing, by the way, because currently uh, Mississippi State is a seven and maybe going to the seven-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, in Lexington. Lexington. Lay it. Yeah, yeah like, lay it. That, that, that thing opened three, and it was to seven within about an hour or two. Uh, To me, that says somebody knows something. And, and if you look back to last week, like what,
2: Kentucky was like an 11-point favorite when the line was originally posted against South Carolina, and that thing had just shrunk
3: down to like four. Yeah, exactly. I mean, 11 a half for it. Levis over Sharon after seeing Sharon is probably... Like a six-point adjustment, maybe seven, and those two receivers—it's sort of a snowball effect. I, I would, yeah. And I'm not well. Should we say this Mississippi State take, or do you want to just hit it now? Well, oh well, yeah, hit it. Let's go. Mississippi State is on a weird run here, I and mean, there was a team a couple of years ago. I'm trying to remember. It might have been like Minnesota three or four years ago. It was that played
0: Minnesota a- played all backup quarterbacks mm-hmm. on the way to being a ten-win team in 2019.
3: Mississippi State, right? Max Johnson gets hurt against them last week. They don't have to face Jefferson this week. I'm guessing Levis is out. Uh, their numbers are going to be inflated in, in all these power ratings, and you're going to need to manually move them down because they're they're going to be winning these games by more than they should.
0: Could Mississippi State beat Alabama?
3: No. No. Well, uh, no, 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 no. no, no. Mississippi State does not have good offensive tackles this year. Bama can pass rush the hell out of them without blitzing and they will be fine. Yeah,
2: but Texas A&M sucks. And without Bryce, without Bryce, Texas A&M nearly beat Alabama. So, I mean, I think Mississippi State's better than Texas A&M.
4: I think too. If you 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 can get rid of the ball pretty quick in that system, mm-hmm. you know, if you've got some get it, you know, and you, you can stretch yeah. the field. Yeah, all right. We'll see. I'm gonna. I am i would not pick the upset, but I think they have a chance. I, I think Bama's more gettable this year. you yeah, know, especially without Bryce Young. Obviously, I mean, I think Texas was stretching the field vertically, challenging them. You know, getting pretty aggressive with it, and they had some success doing it. So I think I think uh, Mississippi State could. I think Mississippi state's a good football
0: team. You are correct. And they are catching a lot of breaks, but I, <clears throat> I like what they do defensively. I think Zach Arnett does a good job with that side of the ball. You mentioned will like Will Rogers is very comfortable. We see yet another example of Mike Leach and the quarterback being in sync, totally understanding the system. And, uh, and by the way, Mississippi state is catching Alabama right after the Tennessee game.
2: Mm-hmm. And it's, it's like, sure. I, like, I understand. I agree. Like they're, Probably going to be overinflated based on these results because they are facing backup quarterbacks. But, like, that LSU loss was weird. But other than that, they're blowing everybody out.
3: Like, that's a good team. I think the LSU loss is instructive, though, because of the way LSU was able to play them. LSU did not blitz them. They dropped everybody, and they still got pressure against those tackles. Like, I think that is specifically Mississippi State's weakness this year. Their pass pro on the edges is not good, right? They lost Charles Cross to to Seattle, and they've already lost another tackle to an injury this year. So I, I I don't think they have I think they're gonna have a lot of trouble on the outside with Anderson and Turner. Just like it's more of a matchup thing than a power rating number thing. I Bama can drop everybody and get 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 pressure with minimal rush. And also, you know, to Just like LSU did. The the
0: the sort of tease here is like could Mississippi State win the SEC West? Could the egg bowl be for the SEC West? All of that is so much fun to imagine. I think Mississippi State. It ultimately comes down to the fact that they draw Georgia. Like they play Alabama, they play Georgia. It's going to be very tough to finish with the best record in that division, even if you're able to get one of them uh, and expect to be able to do that. So, also with, as you mentioned, Bud already having a conference loss to LSU. All right, we've got oh,
3: some- also on that Egg Bowl uh, just announced Michael Trigg, probably the best pass catching target on Ole Miss, is uh, likely done for the year with the broken collarbone. Mm. That's not good. Not great. Everything's coming up Bulldogs. We've
0: we've got uh, some breaking news in the NFL. It doesn't always impact college football, but man, it feels like this one might. We'll get to it in just a second. Uh, Real quickly, Devin Leary. The x-rays were negative. No official announcement on his status for Syracuse. Can NC State go to Syracuse and win if it doesn't have Devin Leary? I'm going to say... Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) They didn't have.
2: They're not a juggernaut, though.
4: No, that game's a lot more intriguing without him. They didn't pass for a single yard in the second half, did they? No, they passed for
3: like negative five yards. There was one
4: pass attempt, and it was behind the line of scrimmage. Mm
3: -hmm. And Thayer Thomas threw it.
4: (laughs) Don't get me started.
3: I, look, I mean,
2: <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> no
3: to go off about twenty seconds away. <laughs> both of these uh, defenses really know each other, by the way. Nice no, right? because they they yeah they both run that 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 three three stack thing. Like they're going to know each other pretty well. Uh, Syracuse to me is a team that's better than I thought they would be. In the last couple of games, they have looked a little bit worse. They were somewhat fortunate to beat Purdue. They really kind of screwed around against UVA. The best yeah. unit in this game, I think. Is NC State's defense still, and maybe by a lot. So there's some chance that NC State wins some kind of ugly low scoring game here, but quarterback wise, they really look look lacking.
0: There's an extremely high chance that this is an ugly low scoring game.
3: Yeah. And like yeah, I agree. somewhat What's the total fortunate. On this?
0: Somewhat fortunate is very fortunate. Syracuse <laughs> ran the PI offense and Garrett Schrader threw one completion that mattered. It was a really good one. It was right in the breadbasket. And i was I was happy to to see that be able to 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 work out for the orange, but um yeah, no oh last one, Jalen Daniels for Kansas. Bean came in and was cooking I was saying, of all these yeah, of all the ones we were looking at, I was like, I'll tell you what, of all the backup situations that we are discussing here in this segment, Kansas does appear to have the least Jalen Daniels is still tremendous, but Bean did a pretty good job against TCU when he had to come in there. Yeah, Bean
2: was good at North Texas, and I thought at times last year while Bean was playing for Kansas, he was a pretty good fit in what they were trying to do on offense. I think, obviously, Jalen Daniels won the job, and we've seen why he won the job, but I don't think the drop-off is tremendous from Daniels to Bean.
1: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what?
0: All right, before we get to uh, pole assassin, let's uh let's let's go ahead and, and discuss this. So Matt Rule has been fired by the Carolina Panthers. Bum, Where bum, he is. Bum. Ba, bum, bum, Where's he going? <laughs> out, like, like,
2: see if there's any flights from Charlotte to Lincoln today.
0: Like, what what are the odds that he's in or not in college football? I mean, it has to be like minus four hundred to yes, right? I mean, Matt Rule especially not having a job and being able to be not just somebody who has uh, a good uh, resume from the college ranks, but also is going to be available to come in and start working right away trying to put together a staff, trying to put together a support staff, getting your recruiting operation going so that you don't get totally dusted during the early signing period. Matt Rule's in college football, right? Mm -hmm. No, No question about it?
4: I think so. If he Definitely. wants it. Oh man. Shouldn't he? Cuz I don't think Yeah, what- he should. But I mean you just never know right now. Like
2: what NFL team is going to be hiring him to be a head coach?
4: I'm just saying we always assume what we you know what people want to do. If he wants to coach, then he'll be in college, right? I mean he could always sit out a year, you know, the guys at ESPN have a real good relationship with him. He could be a broadcaster for a year. But if he wants a job, there will be multiple suitors for him. I think what's also interesting is like what's the over under on the date? You know, like, is it hired before the end of the season at one of these schools? Do they implement him in November? You know, well, they, they wouldn't have him coach because we've had this experience. We, I know, we see it with bowl games mm-hmm. where
0: they're around for the bowl practices. I think Thanksgiving, like maybe they're there for the season finale, but I don't well, think I you looked- would make the
4: hire before. I don't think you would make the hire before November twenty third. Isn't that what this is all? Isn't that why we're firing people to get in front of the next guy, like to get it quickly? I uh, Clay Helton was hired at Georgia Southern last year, November second. Yep, which is kind of wild. I don't, that's why I think the timeline is interesting because we haven't seen it before, but obviously we haven't seen this many coaching firings take place this early in the season. And the thought is they want to be the you know get the head start on everybody else. So I wonder if somebody pulls the trigger on a coach faster than we've seen before. And I'm not saying he's going to be in there on Saturday coaching, but to put together a staff, to start recruiting, to do all the ancillary stuff, I think you might see it sooner than that Thanksgiving. What kind of impact
2: do you think that would have on the team, this current? season? Oh. Like if, if Nebraska announced, like, to, like they, they're cool about it. They wait a week or two because they don't want to make it look like they were negotiating with him while he was still at Carolina. But like Nebraska oh. announces in two weeks that it's hired Matt Rule. What does Mickey Joseph's staff do for the rest of the season and how do the players respond to that? When they all know that no coach on that staff is going to be back next year, why the hell do I need to listen to a
4: word he's saying? Cuz the next guys watching and you know who it is. Yeah. Like that was a, and you know, now that the, the college football is becoming more like the NFL, that was something I heard, you know, I was on the Falcons my last or middle two years and we were bad. And, you know, we were out of the playoffs the last month of the season. And that was something Dan Reeves used to always kind of hold over your head was, hey, I might be getting fired, but you're on film, you know, and, yeah. and other people are watching you. And I think that's what you would have to try to sell is both, hey, maybe it's not even here. Maybe enter the transfer portal. But if you want to go somewhere else, you better play hard, finish the year here. And by the way, there's this guy watching tape of you guys, you know, to see if he wants you around. So you might well might as well try to impress him. But does not every
2: coach come in the door and say, all right, it's a fresh start for everybody?
4: (laughs) Well, I mean, Nebraska
0: already had the fresh start. Scott Frost nuked the staff and went to the transfer portal to build a new team from scratch. The Nebraska example is certainly going to be one where I would be questioning motivation considering where all those players are in their respective careers uh, would be very interesting to see. Did y'all see Ricky's comment from the chat, by the way? I mean, just a real banger. He said Matt Rule in the NFL was 10 and 0 when they held teams under 17. He was 1 in 27 when teams <laughs> scored more than 17 points. And Ricky adds, the Big Ten West seems right up his alley.
2: Listen, I think he would be great for Nebraska. I think he's what Nebraska needs. He's not like some big flashy going to come in and he's going to really recruit really well and give them high recruiting rankings. He's going to identify players identify talent develop the talents and win games that's what he did at Baylor it's what he did at Temple it's what Nebraska needs they don't need somebody with an offense or with recruiting
3: acumen they need somebody who knows how to build a football program um, here's an interesting question for you Leipold or Rule if you're Nebraska
2: me I want Leipold but I also don't want Leipold to leave Kansas
4: but if you had that option and you knew you could you, I would take Leipold too do we think it's close? Yes. Yeah, I, I'm yeah, not trying to dismiss Rule. I just my preference. Yeah, is Leipold. That's a preference. Mm-hmm. There's also yeah. two things have changed dramatically since even in the short time since Matt Rule has left. There's a lot of things he will have to adjust to back to college level. That Lance Leipold is in, you know, has won in the middle of all this change.
2: So does maybe Arizona State make more sense, or a job that's not yet open
3: but might be by a week from right now? I mean, he has 40 million coming to him from the Panthers that there is also the option that he doesn't want to get back into college coaching immediately, not
4: because he wants to take a
3: break, but just because he doesn't find the spot that he wants.
4: Right. Right. Absolutely. That's why I was like, he could t- spend a year in broadcasting like Chip Kelly. You know, you go to the NFL, doesn't work out, sit out a year, kind of survey the landscape. When you're in it, you get to kind of really dive into all the different schools, the different options, and then hand pick one that you like the best
0: let uh is it mullen is from new hampshire right originally
4: yeah really
3: I yeah he's 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 up he's a northeast guy I, yeah I oh
0: man let's let mullen and yeah. rule just chirp back at each other pennsylvania new hampshire just just get it all going that whole that whole vibe oh you got you got to check check tape gotta check tape so <laughs> he, a, he's northeast living numbers. in
3: atlanta though now i'm pretty sure Who, mullen yeah yeah. That, that's where I think that's where his son plays high school ball, and he's posting these, these videos of him doing wakeboarding and stuff, li- 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 living the buyout life, enjoying it. Would yeah. would rule work at Auburn? It's an interesting question. I, I Auburn's a fishbowl, man. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think he'd get nearly the
2: amount of time he would need, and I think that's Auburn's problem. I think they need somebody to kind of come in and rebuild that thing, and nobody's going to get the amount of time there.
3: That's one of the things Nick did successfully at Bama. Like I think he was able to play on Bama's desperation, right? Because they had gone through so many coaches and they had just had the NCAA scandal as well with Albert Means about seven, eight years years prior. And he was able to get in there and just say, Leave me the hell alone. Mm-hmm. Let me let me do my thing. Right. Like I, I got up there and publicly said, I will not be the next Alabama coach. And then I mean Danny could probably say however long later it was. He was the Alabama coach, but when you hold out like that, you can gain a lot of leverage. So, I think that's kind of what Auburn needs in some ways, right? As a guy, to say, "Hey, like, get the hell out of my way." But also, somebody who understands that you cannot outcoach other teams in the SEC. You will not outdevelop them. You will not outcoach them. You need to get similar quality players. That's why Harson's going to get fired because he was not set up to succeed in the SEC by his recruiting approach, right? I, mean, yeah. I don't know the guy's a bad coach, but like, he's a very bad recruiter at that level. So yeah. yeah, Auburn keeps rearranging the furniture instead of fixing the house's foundation. That's why I think they will hire an AD before they hire their new head coach. Like they need, they need an AD to kind of keep some of these folks in check.
0: So what's the order of operations? Do you think it's fire coach, hire AD, hire coach, or is it yes. hire AD, <clears throat> fire coach, hire
3: coach? I think you want to clean slate it with the AD. So you fire the coach first, then you get the AD in there. One of the interesting Auburn questions, and I, I talked to an Auburn guy this weekend, as you guys know, because you are trying to figure out like, do we need to be ready this Sunday or <laughs> next Sunday? Or, can like, I, I, mean, I go to the pumpkin
0: patch safely without <laughs> yeah. ruining my chance to be? Does, able
3: to- does your wife want to take fall photos on a Sunday? Which day uh, are we not going to have to you know go go rush home to do an, an Auburn fired emergency pot? Uh, next Sunday, I think is probably not the right day to go take those fall photos. I look. One of the problems is who do you make. The interim at Auburn because coach,
0: oh, Cadillac.
3: Okay, but he has no head coaching experience, doesn't matter. Like, yeah, and the the other issue is, I mean, the coordinators are both Harson Boise guys because he remember Mason was like, I'm getting the hell out of here. This place is a disaster. Uh, Do you want that? Or, I mean, you in theory, you could just let Harson play out a little bit longer and then just get everybody a little bit madder at him. You're not going to win games either way. They just lost two more offensive linemen last week, by the way, which, you know. Mm. I, do you want to put that on Cadillac? Are those coordinators going to listen to Cadillac? Cuz if I if I'm if I'm Keysaw or uh who's the other guy? I'm not listening to Cadillac Williams. That guy's never never been a head coach, never been a coordinator. He doesn't really run a room.
2: I I think if you get really weird, if you yeah. put Cadillac in a position where he's running the team, but you're letting the coordinators coordinate, I think that would work. Kind yeah, like I think
4: it. it's I think interim coach is a job any one of us could do. Everything's already streamlined, schedules are in place. You take care of the offense, you take care of the defense, I'll handle the media and game day decisions. Let's go. Bam. That was
0: made for me. Yeah. <laughs> <Right. Ives>.
2: there's, <laughs> there's a reason at O just absolutely thrives at it.
3: Right. That's fair. Yeah.
0: So the home games left, uh, they, they play at Ole Miss this weekend. Then they've got uh, Arkansas at home when they return from an off week on October 29th. And the fact that we are approaching the off week is why so many have circled the after the game against Ole Miss as a spot when they might make a move on Harson. Then it is at Mississippi State, Texas A&M at home, Western Kentucky at home, and then the Iron Bowl in Tuscaloosa. I see two wins, Max? I was.
4: I said two. Hopefully.
0: Yeah, I mean that max. <laughs>
4: yeah,
0: yeah. Would, would not go uh, much farther than that, but you know, we we are continuing to uh, to track that. Is there any? We, have we mentioned? Would rule take Georgia Tech?
4: No. no well, I've, he, I've, I've got. A, I've got one thought. I'll tell you, you know, that that might be in play for the interim for Brent Key to win that job. I mean, they just got two wins. wins. I, I saw something. I didn't see the game, but they said it was getting more crowded. Like if you start getting some fan interest and get fans in the stands, he might be somebody that could play himself or coach himself into a job, which I think it was rocking. I'm like, I'm not saying that sarcastically, right? No, was he was rockin'. fired up. They yeah. want, you know, if they, if they find some enthusiasm around him, I think you should give the interim coaches. If there's a response like that, you should absolutely give them first in line for the job interview process. I'm not saying you hand it to them, but you might have something there that you can get. And, you know, because when you do change, you start over, you start from scratch, which maybe what Georgia Tech wants. And also you find out what's out there for real. Like, if they know? had
3: not hired or if they had not fired the AD, I could buy the idea of Key getting the job. I do not think because you're going to have to go hire a new AD who's got a new vision. He's not going to hitch his wagon to, to the, the interim for the old staff. But basically, as a rule, uh, not, I don't mean that as an intentional pun. Like, new ads are never going to keep an interim. It's just not going to happen. There's no there's no preexisting relationship with them. It like they want to distance themselves from what happened in the prior staff. It it won't it won't go. I do think Key will be in high demand as, as an O line coach though. Yeah, you know, I asked this initially as a
2: joke on a Georgia Tech subject, but I'm kind of wondering if it's real now. Is it possible that everybody on that team just really did not like their coach? Yes. Yes, I think so,
0: for sure. Yeah, I mean, just confidently.
2: Yes, it's it's not. I know that winning kind of changes the way a team looks and the vibe around it, but just watching that team in the last couple of weeks, it looks like a far more interested
0: team. So the um, the reason why I would mention rule is that a lot of the uh, the game plan, or at least as I understand it, that he took to building up Baylor. Was finding those players that were falling through the cracks in Texas recruiting that he had a certain, you know, certain types, a certain mold. He he was looking for essentially, you know, three stars that were going to be able to fit into his system and then be able to play at a championship level with a little bit of development. I know that we talk about you know the what what it's going to take at Georgia Tech maybe some kind of unique plan like that where you are maximizing on trying to find kids around Georgia or trying to find kids that uh, are not getting looked at by Notre Dame at some of these private schools that might have the right height, weight, speed, but just might need a little bit of meat or might just need a little bit of training or we need to flip their position, that that might be the unique approach at Georgia Tech. You might not need to go total option on this but you at least need to have a plan to be able to try to you know, hit some inefficiencies. And I feel like that was something that Rule, at least as I understand it, was able to do at Baylor, where he received all the praise that has him as a coveted name in college football to begin with.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think if Matt Rule took the Georgia Tech job, good chance that he would do a good job there. It's just, is the Georgia Tech job the one that Matt Rule is going to want to take based on what's going to be available to him?
3: Yeah, like I don't think Georgia Tech's a top 40 job in college football right now. So I think Matt Rule can do better than Georgia Tech. I, I agree with what Tom says there. And and I mean Chip's point was great. They would take guys who had measurables but were not good football players yet. And then mm-hmm. they really did a great job developing them. Like they Teaching did the, the game. Yeah, yeah. Correct. And a lot of staffs want to do that, but they don't actually, they're not actually good at it. Matt Rule's staff was good at doing that. Like they would go out and they'd be like, I don't really care if the kid can play yet. I want a guy that runs four three and yeah, we'll we'll find a way to use him. Six three, six seven wingspan, and he's running this. Yeah, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> Give him a scholarship, and we'll figure it out. <laughs> exactly, but a lot, but a lot of staffs do that, and they don't actually do the the developing thing, right? Mm-hmm. They, yeah. So, uh, I don't know. I, the other thing is, man, I don't. I'm really skeptical about some of these private school jobs now, because rosters are becoming more efficient every every year because of the transfer portal. You can get those kids off your roster who can't play, and you can bring in better depth, or better quality incoming players. And Georgia Tech, like Stanford, like to some extent Northwestern, some other private schools too, you you are going to have a hard time getting in enough transfers there to offset the good players that you do lose. I think they're in trouble in this era.
0: Mm. Coming up on the other side, our weekly look at the new college football rankings. It is Pole Assassin and... Lots to get to. And upon further review as we clean out the notebook from the weekend,
1: next. Should you ever set foot outside of the hotel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner.
2: Why are they keeping you here?
1: Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A gentleman in Moscow, now streaming on Paramount Plus, only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime Plan.
2: Hello everyone, it's Mike Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest Is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer, along with outrageous tales from our careers—and I mean outrageous. Just search "The Rest Is Football" wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Beats.
0: A guy DK has a hard out. So I'm just gonna go ahead and say, "Nose to go,
2: nose to go. Order for Danny, nose to go."
4: Just, just let it off your chest, man. How? That one hurt. Yeah, that was a rough one. That one hurt um we won our lock second war. half was hard to explain away what was that tom we won our lock war we did we did win the lock war it didn't feel quite the same as if we would have won it outright <laughs> i had actually taken them on the money line and there was a cash out option at halftime like i'm taking the full boat on this one <laughs> i want to see this sucker cash and then back in the fourth quarter i'm checking the cash out options. gone i'm like oh, dang it we still had the lead too um a lot of controversy, you know, questioning of the final sequence there when they're going in, and they, of course, take the shot for the end zone when they could have ran it a few more times and um, and kicked the field goal. Much like the pitch toss they ran at LSU, which thank goodness we won that game, but that was still a questionable call from a lot of people, and I said I had no problem with it whatsoever. I totally understand the line of thinking. I think, he, I think you trust your players in that situation. Hey, we're going to take a shot at the end zone, and – I'm sure it was, I don't know, maybe it wasn't, but at some point you have to say anything except, anything except a turnover. Like throw it out of the back of the end zone. You can have it incomplete, you know, whatever it is, and it's from the quarterback to the guy you're throwing it to. Everyone has to know the worst, pass, worst possible outcome has to be an incomplete pass. That's it. And then you go on and you kick it. So I had no problem with the thought press ups, and the kicking game is shady. It's as bad as it's ever been. I mean, he's Three under- of nine against FBS teams so far. Mm-hmm. Like that's not a, that's not a coin
3: flip that he makes, makes that field goal.
4: Right. It was. It's a very much against wake. They stopped kicking extra points, which you don't see in college. They were just like, forget it. And I know he made the one before halftime, but I don't care. I still think that is a, and, and, and by the way, if that ball isn't picked, then you let him kick it. You know, then you say, all right, it's in your hands. You're your only option here. But if you had an option to take a shot at the end zone, first, then I have no problem with that. The only thing I would say is if you 're going to take a shot at the end zone, I would have probably taken it to Johnny Wilson and said, all right he's six seven you know throw it in the back of the end zone more of a jump ball, let him get it or nobody else, but that wasn't the play call and it there was something off I mean the throw was overthrown, the receiver looked like he kind of slowed up i don't know if there was a miscommunication, yeah, and that I, obviously was the worst case scenario i, I danny i I think
3: Jordan thinks that Pittman is is going to the corner. Like if yeah. they, they, they scored on that player, like it, it's it's an option route. Like he, he he can convert it. And like the corner did a pretty nice job stacking him. And so Pittman kind of cut it off. And I think Jordan thought he, he was going to run through it.
4: Well, the corner's thinking I ain't going to give up a touchdown.
0: <laughs> no, right. sit the corner Corner told the media after the game he knew the play.
3: I mean, that's kind of like like the kid for for Bama saying that that he read he, he saw Jimbo mouthing hey, Evan, Evan, Evan. Evan, 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 Oh, that was yeah. my favorite. No way. I you mean, got
0: the game on the line. You're in Tuscaloosa. What play call are we doing, Evan?"
3: You know, it it, it was a nice play by the corner, right? And
4: I don't know, it he, wasn't that nice a play. He was sitting I mean, there and just caught it. Yeah,
3: but he <laughs> I mean, he, he did
4: he did stack him pretty well.
3: Yes. Uh, the other thing is like Johnny Wilson. Why was he available for Florida state in the transfer portal, a team that has had a garbage passing game the last two years prior to this one, because he never played big at Arizona state and he always had drop problems. And he had three drops or definitely two, depending on what you think of the other one, three drops in this game. So if you're, if you're Jordan Travis, you're like, man, maybe Johnny's didn't have it. If you've been in any FSU practices, you know, there's days Johnny Wilson doesn't catch anything. So, like, yes, he went beast mode against Louisville, but he's not super reliable.
4: Yeah, I had no problem. Did if you he have caught the ball the consistently,
3: he'd be wearing an Alabama helmet,
4: right? <laughs> yeah. Do you really have any available. problem with the with the process, the thinking process? I mean,
3: I cannot count Ryan Fitzgerald to kick field goals for me. Right. Like, to me, to me, the one it's like uh the, the one before the halves like, Hey, okay, cool. You you got a shot to hit this one. There's no real pressure. Like they're very fortunate they got in the situation anyway, just to try it. Like Go out and take a big swing at this long one and, and see if you can hit it. Th- this is a little different. Like this is this is do or die. And I know I don't think you can trust him at all to kick a field goal. So I, I don't mind chucking the ball up. Like NC State dominated them along the lines of scrimmage for the vast majority of that game. You had three or four explosive plays in the first half that kind of hid the fact that they were having guys in their backfield the whole time. Mm-hmm. Like, this is what we worried about post-Louisville. Like you beat BC, pretty good chance you lose the next three. Because you're just that banged up. You need to get to the bye week and then hope to make a bowl game after it.
0: Clemson coming to town this weekend to your point.
4: Four point, four point dog. Four? Yes. Were you guys surprised at that? Yeah. <laughs> oh, Dusty said know. something to me this morning on the He's like, I was like, ah, what is it? 10, 11? He's like, no, it's four. I almost fell out of my chair. I was a little bit surprised by that. Is that because it would be hilarious?
3: I think it's because <laughs> Clemson, Clemson's got a lot of guys out in the secondary still. Yeah. But
0: uh, so no hands wilson is going to light up the <laughs> the back all the backup secondary players.
3: Sometimes hands wilson.
0: Sometimes sometimes <laughs> hands wilson. Um well, Florida State was uh up in the top 25. They are not anymore. We saw a a change over in the AP top 25 as Georgia took over the number 1 position. We saw from Alabama, which fell to number three. Alabama retained the number one position in the coaches' poll. Uh, this was hilarious. The coaches' poll. In case you want to know uh, how the coaches and or allegedly SIDs are feeling when they get to this point in the season when they fill out their ballots, zero changes in the top ten. Just, <laughs> just the yeah, just filling out the exact same ballot uh, and move it all the way in. Uh, very, very few changes throughout. We saw on the AP side of things, Texas makes a return. Texas also back in in the coaches' poll. Illinois ranked for the first time since 2011 in the AP Top 25. James Madison ranked for the first time ever as an FBS team as they improved to 5-0 and with the win against Arkansas State. Uh, as you look up and down these two sets of rankings, anything stand out uh, as, as we turn our attention to the new AP Top 25 and coaches' poll?
2: what stands out to me is I'm the only member of this podcast with a team ranked right now. So I'm probably the only one that even should be allowed to discuss the rankings. You <laughs> don't even
3: know what they're like. Big 10 West life. Love it. Um, <laughs> uh, Cincinnati should not be ranked. Uh, we didn't, we didn't mention this one on, on, uh, on, on, Saturday night pod, but they have hey. <laughs> no good wins, right? They screwed around with Miami, Ohio and, and beat them late. they, did not put away a bad Tulsa team. They screwed around with USF. They have a loss to an Arkansas team, which increasingly looks less, less acceptable. Um, They are not playing all that well right now. I thought that Tulsa game was a blip, but
4: South Florida is bad and had them on the ropes. They were 28 point favorite in that game. And the
0: voters responded by moving them up three spots
4: Uh, mm -hmm. because they won,
2: which I said was going to happen on Saturday. Yeah.
0: Uh, I, Kentucky still being ranked is hilarious, right? Well, they do Kentucky's have not a number top one 40 overall team. quarterback in the draft. I mean, it's I mean so tough. we at least at the CBS Sports one hundred and thirty, uh, Kentucky tumbled twenty spots after the loss. They check in at thirty six in the CBS Sports one hundred and thirty one, our comprehensive ranking of all FBS teams. But yeah, just still hanging out at number twenty two in the AP poll and number twenty two in the coaches poll.
2: Well, two people still have them in the top fifteen on their
0: ballots. Don't tell me it's listen. Don Williams nope. at least is no, committed no. to his power rating because his response to um, our comment last week in poll assassin was, yeah, but would they win on
3: a neutral field? Which means that you are applying <laughs> yep. a, like a power ratings perspective. So sure. I respect Don for that. Like, actually, I, I went back and looked at it. And do I agree with his ballot? No, but I did look, he is consistent with his approach. It's not just like craziness week to week. He he does consistent.
2: all twenty-five teams are Power Five. He doesn't even consider the Group of Five.
3: Uh, that that might be true,
0: but I mean, there's sixty-five ballots, and he has decided to take an approach with his. So mm-hmm. that's fine. You're you're a voter. Your ballot.
4: Don't exactly. agree with it, but respect it. Yeah. I, I thought. Go ahead. I thought if you're going to maneuver things, I think you could have Tennessee even higher. I think you could have them over Michigan. Yes, you know. Yes. I think you could have – because Michigan has kind of – I know they had a serious issue with Mike Hart on the sideline, and that definitely has an impact on a game. But the last couple games, their offense is sputtering a little bit with J.J. McCarthy. Let's just see what they do here coming down the stretch. But their non-conference is a joke. Like, And if you want to make a statement about scheduling, you would let teams like Tennessee, who went on the road to Pitt, has a nice win there, um, and also just come out of absolute beatdown to LSU, I think you could have jumped them even higher
2: yeah they were dragged down by one voter in particular who had them as low as eleven, which what? is one, which yeah, this is one ballot I kind of want to point out because you know there are there are twenty five teams in the top twenty five and you know the college poll tracker tr- puts posts every single ballot from every single voter and it mentions like the the most extreme ballots from the highest to the lowest in each team of the twenty five teams, this man's ballot was the most extreme on five. <laughs> So 20% of the team, I'm going to read it to you and it's going to be very normal at first, but then we're going to see when things start to take a turn. Number one, Georgia, number two, Alabama, number three, Ohio state, number four, Clemson, number five, Michigan, number six, Oklahoma state, number seven, USC, number eight, Ole Miss, number nine, NC state, kind of starting to get off course. Here. Get a little rickety. Yeah. That's again, that's one of the extremes. Number 10, Oregon. Okay don't hate it. Not sure I agree with it. Number 11, as I mentioned, Tennessee. 5 and 0 Tennessee with number 11, the lowest by far. Number 12, Wake Forest, fine. Uh, number 13, Baylor. 3 and 2 Baylor. <laughs> number 13. <laughs> Baylor did not appear on 45 ballots this week. Finished 27th in the poll. This voter has them at 13. Actually, I'm just going to name him. Why am I hiding? Kirk Kenny from the San Diego union Tribune? Uh, number 14, Penn state. Fine. Number 15. This was the person who had Kentucky as high as 15, not the highest though. John Wilner, who has always got one of the craziest ballots, had Kentucky at 13. UCLA is at 16 Florida state at 17. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's out, Illinois.
2: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 18 Utah. 19 TCU. <laughs>
0: Uh, Utah ahead of undefeated TCU.
2: Florida State ahead of undefeated TCU. Kentucky ahead of undefeated TCU. Number 13, Baylor. Six spots ahead of undefeated TCU. 20, Kansas State. 21, BYU. Somewhat extreme. Uh, 22, Kansas. That's fine. 23, Mississippi State, which is the lowest anybody had Mississippi State, but, but agrees. Number 24, Cincinnati. And number 25, North Carolina. That's my favorite ballot of the.
4: Week. That's a that's a ballot. That, that <laughs> is a ballot. Congratulations. The weird thing is,
3: like, it, it's not the hate of one conference because, no. like, he has Oklahoma State higher than average, right? He has Baylor m- much higher than that. M- maybe he just maybe he has a good read on TCU that nobody else has potentially, uh, or maybe he didn't watch the games from this last week and just submitted the same ballot as as the week prior. Um, that would make sense with Kentucky being that high and NC state still staying that high. Um,
4: You know, what makes the most sense to me he lives in San Diego. The weather is really nice. He probably doesn't watch that much. He's he's out on the beach. He's out surfing, maybe a little beach volleyball. And then he comes in and says, all right, let me put together my ballot. I kid kind of,
0: (laughs) I know. I no. there's, there's too much like commitment to the different spots. You know, those, there are opinions being formed behind that ballot that
2: I just need to know how you put Baylor at 13. Like there's, again, when it comes to this stuff, there are reasons to explain everything that you can make that I might not agree with, but I will at least understand where you're coming from. I don't know what argument there is to put Baylor at number 13 in the country right now.
4: No.
3: Yeah. I, I don't know. That's, that's kind of strange. Um, Although John Wilner has them at fourteen. What? All right, so they they have a close loss to BYU, which now looks worse because BYU got, I mean, challenged somewhat for about forty minutes by Utah State, and then BYU was pretty well handled by Notre Dame until the very end. They came back nicely, right. uh, but I mean, you got to give them credit for that.
2: Baylor's win need you- Texas State and Iowa State. It's played two
3: good teams and it's lost them both. Now Texas State did upset App this weekend and smoked them. True, but Iowa State again failed to score
4: uh, ten points. Do you? How do you guys approach that? Because you know, I, I thought I was more than kind to Tennessee. I put out my you know ranking yesterday, had them ahead of Michigan, and I had some Tennessee fans actually upset, being like, "No one else is beating three top twenty-five teams, and the way we beat them." How do you view those wins cuz you just said it but I agree with you like the win against BYU for Baylor doesn't look as good now is there a case that you could say well it was more impressive then because they were they were in a different spot they were healthier um even though they weren't I think they were without some of their guys but do you know what I mean like uh, like if as seasons fall apart for some programs they get way worse does that yeah, make sense yeah yeah without yeah. a doubt like, because I'm with you I think you look at it when the season is over then you have a full resume, and you look at what was the team you beat at the end. But somebody might say, well, when Florida was 2-0 and or 3-0, and it was way more impressive than at the end of the year when it looks like, oh, it's just an 8-4 and team or a 7-5 and team.
0: How many wins do you have against Power 5 opponents with winning records? When it's all said and done. Or even like as we're doing analysis now. Because right. on one hand, I do hear uh, they were ranked, and the reason they're not ranked is because you beat them. They, yeah. like, were a quality team, so that has to stand for something. But like,
4: LSU is not a top-25 team. Well, yeah, they none, were also none like None of the three-ranked teams Tennessee beat are ranked anymore.
0: Right.
2: Florida <laughs> <Pitt, laughs> and LSU.
0: But Florida has a winning record.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: LSU, has, has, a winning winning
2: record. LSU has, has a winning record. record. Yeah, has a winning running. record. Yeah, I kind of take the same approach as you, Chip. I don't really care about ranking as much as are they good. Like, I don't care what the opinion of them is. It's just...
0: How many how many wins do the teams that you have beaten have? That kind of thing.
2: Mm-hmm. And also, you do have to. It's it's an individual basis too, because you do have to take in some context. Because like we were talking about earlier with Mississippi State, it's hard to remember. But at the end of the year, it's like, oh wow, Mississippi State beat this team by this many points, but they didn't have their starting quarterback. So it's like it's it's a case by case basis. Obviously. But
0: for the Michigan argument, what is the record of those teams that Michigan has beaten? Not great. And no, those are I think the worst teams in college football. I said on the reaction like,
2: show when we were discussing the AP, like our predictions, I think Tennessee, Tennessee was at five on my Super 16 ballot. I think they should be ahead of Michigan. I think they've got a good argument to be ahead of maybe Clemson too.
0: All right. Um, upon further review, we did throw it in the, uh, we threw it in the headline of the entire um, video, so we might as well mention it. Can Texas make the playoff? So here's, I mean, obviously they have two losses. Yeah. They would need to win out they would have, when it comes to the College Football Playoff Selection Committee, pretzel logic, the absence of Quinn Ewers to explain away a loss to Texas Tech and even maybe bring some context to the loss to Alabama. Totally. Mm-hmm. So if Texas wins out, that's a team that can make the College Football Playoff.
4: Yes. Now they need help. Yes, right? they need, need you know, I mean, a lot But I help. think with the parity we've seen this year, I think you could see that and that if there was a two loss team to get in a two loss team with that situation would absolutely be the type that could do it where you could have a, you know, an excuse, if you will. And I also think Quinn Ewers has to ball out, which he, you know, he's done already versus Oklahoma, but they have and they would need style points with Quinn Ewers providing those style points on the way home. But here That's is the recipe. Here's the problem
2: that they face. First of all, if you look at the Big Ten and the SEC, there's a very good chance, like we said at the beginning of the year, that Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, and Michigan will all have zero or one losses by the time the season ends. They might both be undefeated when they play each other. So you're going to have to overcome them, which is going to be difficult to do for a two-loss team. You look at the Pac-12, UCLA still undefeated, USC still undefeated, Oregon's looked very good outside that Georgia loss, although that Georgia loss could be a death blow when it comes to trying to figure out a number four team to put into the playoff. Clemson is undefeated. I don't know who in the ACC is beating them right now in the big 12 for Texas to win out. And then, whoa, win
4: the whoa, 12, whoa. They got to play this weekend.
0: I mean, they're only four point favorites. If <laughs> they true. get
2: past Florida state, then I just don't see any resistance, but Texas to get through the rest of the big 12 to win out means they get to the big 12 championship and then they win. But the team they're beating in that game will have a minimum of two losses in this scenario because of the way things have to play out for it to happen. So, they need Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, and Michigan all to lose. They need Clemson to lose. They need somebody in the Pac-12 to kind of fall apart. And all these things are possible. It's just I don't think it's likely at all.
4: But and if they're a two- unlikely. Los- Very unlikely. I mean, it's highly unlikely. But if they're a two-loss conference champ and one of those games gets sideways, Ohio State, Michigan, or Georgia, Alabama, and those are a one-loss team that you just saw get blown out and Texas comes in with style points, I think that might be the one where – they would be taken in a two-loss conference champ with excuses would be taken over a one-loss non-conference champ.
3: I I, I think it, it goes even further. I think that Texas cannot get in unless Bama is the SEC champ, mm-hmm. right? Because one-loss non-champ Bama is going to go over two-loss champ Texas. Yes. And they yes. better
4: hope Oregon doesn't win the Pac-12. Correct. If and you, Georgia's you, in probably need,
3: you probably need Bama to beat Georgia by a lot, too, to where you can be defended like, hey, you know what? We played Bama closer with our backup quarterback than Georgia just did with Georgia's starting quarterback, right? I mean, because it's still the two losses. I don't trust this committee to make qualitative judgments about teams, that they are going to look at that loss column first and foremost. The history, The entire history of the committee says that they're actually really lazy with this. We know the advanced stats they're given are not really contextual, and they take out things that are pretty important like margin of victory. So, uh, I, I I don't trust the committee to put them in. I, they would be a fascinating team in the twelve-team playoff era, though. Mm-hmm. Like, I think they're a top five-six team power rating wise in the country right now. Like I'm on, a, on a neutral field, are you taking them or Michigan? Right? Texas. Are, are you take? Yeah, are you taking them or Clemson? Clemson, Texas. I might take Texas. Right? I would take like, Texas. I, there's probably a, I think there's a couple teams that I, I think are coin flippy with them right now, and I would still like in a rematch, I would still take Bama. Right, I would still probably take a Georgia or definitely an Ohio State, at least on, on my power ratings. But they they could do it. I mean, this is possible. Like, they, need, they need what undefeated Ohio State and they, they they need probably two lost Michigan, two lost Penn State. Mm-hmm. Um
0: but let Clemson lose at Notre Dame in yeah. South Bend yeah. in early November.
2: Mm. Listen. I, like I said, it's not very likely, but anything is possible when you have the best quarterback in the country.
0: I think 11-2 and two Texas with Quinn Ewers as a Heisman Trophy finalist is the best chance that we have had in a while of seeing a two-loss team in the college football playoff.
3: I do think that the Heisman is a two-man race right now, by the way. like we, Stroud, we, we, it's, Stroud. It's Stroud and Hooker, and if Hooker doesn't win this weekend, then it's Stroud. Man, his numbers are just completely nuts.
0: <laughs> it's hilarious.
3: Yeah. Um, Oregon actually could be a thorn in the side here for Texas because, well, there's two ways they could win out in dominant fashion. They actually moved the ball in Georgia. Like, if you go back and watch that game, they had drives. They just had such poor field position to start. They could have a 60 yard drive and get no points on it. Uh, but they are also, uh, like They're your number one power-rated team in Vegas right now in the Pac-12. Mm-hmm. Ahead they, of USC? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm not really sure that USC would be would be a favorite over UCLA right now. On but a neutral. Let's, let's, be,
2: let's be real, though. The SEC media hype propaganda machine would bludgeon everybody to death over that. Correct. The 49 loss to Georgia.
3: That's what I'm and saying. Though, like Oregon may be the reason that USC and UCLA pick up losses. Mm-hmm. I mean, in addition to the fact that USC is an underdog this weekend to Utah, so... Like uh, they they may pick up a loss there, but the Pac-12 may end up beating each other at the top, which could really help Texas quite a bit.
0: Give me the Trojans. Uh, you know, uh, I, I don't know,
3: know, man. Well,
0: listen, we got all week to break yeah. this down. <laughs> uh, o- Oregon, by the way, um the Bo Nix revenge tour is on. I know, like Ducks Ducks fans are coming from ahead on Saturday night just because I was coming out here with some some jokey jokes in a money line sprinkle segment at the end of an 85 minute locks episode but i can't can't deny what we've seen which is that bo nix has been pretty stellar as the ducks have been on this tear it's got 80 percent completion percentage uh sorry that was just that was just for the game um He's got a seventy percent completion percentage right now. Twelve touchdowns to just three interceptions, averaging eight point two yards per attempt. Those would be career high numbers for completion percentage, for touchdown to interception ratio, uh, for quarterback rating. uh, Uh, It's It's, it's it's kind kind of. of Ooh! Ooh. Somebody Somebody got the speakers on. Nope. No. Okay.
2: You're going insane slowly.
0: Oh, but so I wanted to at least upon further review, um, just say I'll, I'll, I'll jump off the Bo Nix jokey jokes here for a little bit. Dude no. is balling right now and the Ducks are uh, Ducks are on a roll.
2: Washington State, Stanford, Arizona. Win, win, win. Bo Nix is doing what Bo Nix does. Like, come on. How many, like again, I, he, he is great against bad teams. And then when he runs into a good team, things go very poorly. He is Bo Nix is at Bo Nix level. That's what he is. He's a good quarterback. He's not a great quarterback.
0: But do you think that UCLA, Washington, Utah, I mean, like how many defenses are left that are going to like truly expose him?
2: UCLA has looked feisty. Cal, I don't uh, I don't know. Cal's weird. Colorado, no. He's going to have a tremendous game against Colorado. He's going to just ball out. It's going to be incredible. Washington, he's going to ball out because I don't think Washington's defense is very good. Utah uh, at Oregon State. Could be somewhat tricky, I just when you get him in the big games he's going to make the big mistake
0: I think that UCLA Utah was very indicative of what we can expect from UCLA in that they're going to get in a lot of these shootout type games and they're just so much better offensively than almost everybody that they play, but they you can move the ball on this Bruins team. Utah always came back with answer after answer after answer in that game Utah Utah's run, pass
3: rush is a problem to me. Like they were they had to blitz a lot more. And I, I I bet UCLA, but I did not think that Utah would need to blitz them as much as they did. And they got very little pressure on Dorian without blitzing. That's going to be a problem when they play when they play Oregon, because Oregon's offensive line I think is better than UCLA's. That's going to be a problem against USC, potentially. Um uh, Utah's think- a different team at home. Like Tom mm-hmm. points it out all the time. They they really do play differently in, in Utah.
0: The muss. Mm-hmm. All right. So, anything else for a pun review before we get out of here?
3: Uh,
2: I I rewatched, or I didn't. It wasn't a rewatch. It was just I watched Notre Dame BYU because I saw none of that on Saturday. Notre Dame looks a lot better. Yeah. <laughs> BYU, man not so much. But Notre Dame's looking a lot better. Also, I saw the stat that Marcus Freeman was 0-3 before converting to Catholicism in his 3 and is 3-0 since converting to Catholicism. So
0: get out of here.
2: We found out what was wrong.
0: The Lord giveth. <laughs> um, let's see. I mentioned we mentioned earlier I, I think I might be done with BYU. They they made that score look better than the way that the game played out. I did have a decent amount of eyes on that game but I had to bail on it when we were doing pod prep and I was finishing with writing. And so when I saw the final, I was like, what happened? I felt like everything that I'd watched for about three quarters was Notre Dame totally in control of that game. So, so not, uh, not going to, yeah, yeah.
2: yeah, it was a fun game, but I never like, I mean, it might've been because I already knew the outcome, but yeah, I would agree with that. I never
0: thought there was any real problems with that for Notre Dame. Bud, you got anything else?
3: No, I I, uh, I actually have a twelve o'clock meeting, so I'm 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 fairly good on the, on the UFR. <laughs> All
0: right. Uh Tom, you wanna to draft game uh game draft on Wednesday? The slate sure. I feel like that'd be fun. Sure. Game Draft on Wednesday. Get your viewer's guide set with us. We will also continue to tackle uh, some of the biggest topics in the sport because this is a, again, colossal Week 7 that we have on deck. And you can follow him on Twitter at elliott 3 You can follow him at Tom Fernelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore
1: Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you.